I've entitled this morning's message, Nothing at All Wrong With Me? Question mark. The last time I ministered, we talked about two of the superpowers that God gave us when he made us superhumans, or if you prefer, born-again believers. <laughs> As born-again believers, we are no longer merely human. We have been crucified with Christ, we have been buried with Christ, and we have been risen to new life in Christ by his resurrection power. So we are not merely human anymore. We're now superhuman. And as supernatural humans, we are also super powerful. But not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. Our Heavenly Father not only raised us to new life in Christ, he also gave us supernatural powers. Yay! <laughs> Previously, we looked at our ability to be spiritually minded instead of carnally minded. And we looked at our ability to love with God's super powerful agape love. Today, I want to continue in the same vein. I want us to continue looking at being spiritually minded and also to look at loving with God's supernatural agape love in reference to how we see ourselves. As humans, we have a strong tendency to see ourselves through merely human eyes, which is the equivalent of being carnally minded about ourselves. We do not naturally see ourselves the way our Heavenly Father sees us. Seeing ourselves the way He sees us is the equivalent to being spiritually minded in regard to ourselves. In Romans 8, 6, it says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnal mindedness is thinking that is based on our natural fleshly body and our natural human thinking. It's the kind of thinking that unregenerated people have. And unregenerated people are constantly under the influence of Satan. So to be carnally minded is really to be in agreement with Satan and his lies and his deceptions. Satan's desire is to kill us, steal from us, and to literally destroy us. But he can't accomplish any of those things unless we come into agreement with him. If he could, none of us would be here today. <laughs> but we sometimes unwittingly give him agreement through our carnal mindedness. Now think about being carnal-minded in terms about how we think about ourselves. What are we thinking about who we are? Are we thinking in ways that agree with Satan and death? Death represents everything under the curse. Everything under the curse is based on lack. Lack of provision, lack of protection, lack of love, lack of peace, lack of joy, lack of health, lack of everything good. That's the curse. So do we see ourselves as constantly lacking? Or do we see ourselves full and complete? If we see ourselves as lacking, then we have entered into agreement with what Satan says about us. And all he can bring into our life is death. Very powerful, the way we think. Romans 8, 6 also says, but to be spiritually minded, hallelujah, <laughs> to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So to be spiritually minded is to be in agreement with God. And to be in agreement with God is to be in agreement with the truth. God never exaggerates and God never underestimates. 
God is perfectly true. And he only tells us what is perfectly true. So when we come into agreement with what God says is true, it produces life and peace. Not just on the outside of our life where people can see it, but on the inside as well. God wants us to have life and peace internally, just as much as he wants us to have it externally. Now the Greek word for life is the word zoe, and it means life. Real simple, but it's an inclusive word. It includes life physically, includes life emotionally, and it includes life spiritually. I've heard it explained as God's kind and quality of life. Now that sounds yummy, doesn't it? <laughs> it includes the idea of blessing. And we can see this in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I'm reading from the ERV version. It says this. This is God speaking. Today, I am giving you a choice of two ways. I ask heaven and earth to be witnesses of your choice. You can choose life or death. The first choice will bring a blessing. The other choice will bring a curse. So, if you know what's good for you, <laughs> choose life. <laughs> then you and your children will live. So God's idea of life includes everything that's in the blessing. And he says, it's a choice. Wow. <laughs> he says, that's all it is. It is a choice. We get to choose. And the truth is, we are constantly choosing by our thinking. In Romans 8, it also tells us that not only does thinking in agreement with God produce life, but it produces peace. And it's interesting, I thought, that in the Old Testament, he says, you know, life and death, blessing and cursing. But in the New Testament, he says, life and death, blessing and life and peace. He adds peace. Now, I thought, peace must be very important. <laughs> it's just not life and death, blessing and cursing. It's life and peace. He says there's more than just life. There's also this wonderful thing called peace. I looked at uh, the word peace in the helps word studies lexicon. And it's the Greek word I, Rene, which is really funny because my middle name is Rene. <laughs> I, Rene. It means to join, to tie together into a whole. Properly, it means wholeness. And when all the essential parts are joined together, it creates peace. And they have in parentheses, God's gift of wholeness. I really like this because the song we sang earlier when we wait upon the Lord, waiting is not crossing your arms and tapping your toe. <laughs> to wait on God is to wrap yourself around him. That's what it means. It is to see yourself as united, completely wrapped around, interchangeably, that you can't get away. <laughs> that brings peace. That's where the picture comes from. I really like this definition because it implies that there was a point where something was missing. When something is missing, we don't have peace. But when that essential part is joined together, peace is created. I like to think of it as a two-piece puzzle. Usually you have one puzzle with a half of a hole, right? And then you have the other pieces of a puzzle that has a bump that perfectly fits the hole, right? And then together you have one hole. That's the way I think about it, because 
we are the puzzle piece with a hole. We are lacking before we come to Christ. We need something to complete us. We need God. Salvation is when God gives us peace with him. The two pieces, the essential parts, come together and you have peace. So when we receive Christ, we have no more lack. We become complete and it brings peace. Now, after we're saved, sometimes it still feels like we're missing pieces. (laughs) But the truth is, we're only missing something from our understanding. We're missing the truth. When we don't have peace on the inside, it's because we haven't yet received what God says is true about us and about our situation. The truth will always bring us peace. When we believe and receive what God says is true, instantly peace will come to our heart. It's that moment when the light goes on in your head and you go, okay, I got it. Thank you, Lord. He answers that missing thing, that missing information. He brings the truth and ah, he brings peace. God's truth always brings us peace. Now I looked up peace in the Webster's 1828 dictionary and it says this. This is usually how peace feels. It is freedom from agitation or disturbance. In other words, free from fear, terror, anger, and anxiety. It is the quietness of mind. It is a state of tranquility. It is calmness. And I especially like this last one. It is quiet of conscience. (laughs) We can live with all kinds of noise, but we cannot live peacefully with a loud conscience. Our own conscience can steal our peace by being very loud, telling us everything that we think is wrong with us. It will tell us how we don't measure up. It will tell you how we have failed yet again. It will tell us that we are in fact failures. It will tell us that we are not smart enough or pretty enough or talented enough. It will tell us that we are unworthy and unholy and unrighteous. And it will even tell us that we are unspiritual. Our conscience loves to tell us how very un we are. Now, our conscience is just part of our natural thinking brain. Our conscience is what our natural brain produces. It is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. They are not the same thing. Unregenerated people have consciences. Criminals have consciences. They don't necessarily have the Holy Spirit. It's not the same thing. The reason people mix those two things up is because you hear it in the same place in your mind. But your brain that produces, especially your left brain, (laughs) it likes right and wrong and black and white and justice and vengeance and all that kind of stuff. Our conscience likes vengeance and justice too. (laughs) So our conscience is part of our carnal thinking. It happens to us all the time. We can slide right into conscious thinking as opposed to being spiritually minded. Really easy because of our natural thinking. 
but our natural thinking, our own conscience, will try to help us punish ourselves for our perceived failures. This is the same kind of thing that happened to the apostle Judas. You know what I thought when I wrote that down? I thought, that doesn't even sound right. <laughs> the apostle Judas? Who calls him that? <laughs> Jesus. But after he betrayed Jesus, his conscience and Satan must have told him that he could not possibly live with what he had done to Jesus. He was most likely overwhelmed with both guilt and shame. You see, guilt comes from violating our own internal sense of right and wrong. But shame believes we are wrong. There's something very wrong with us. And obviously, Judas agreed with his conscience and with Satan. And he sentenced himself to death. And he hung himself. Now granted, this is an extreme example. But this is natural thinking. I know of a little boy just recently who was naughty, and his mom sent him to his room. And he was so overwhelmed with guilt and shame that he bit himself to punish himself for what he had done. Why do people, especially women, why do they cut themselves? Because they think there's something very wrong with themselves. And if they just punish themselves sufficiently, Maybe I could stop being wrong. Believers buy into the lie that not only have they done something wrong, but there is something very wrong with who they are. They don't just believe that they've made a mistake. They believe they are a mistake. I used to stay mad at myself for days, and sometimes even weeks when I would sin, fall short of perfection, or even just make an honest mistake. I would find myself hating myself and begging and pleading with God to fix me. If you love me, fix me. I don't want to be wrong. Just fix me. I believed that I could change myself with the power of hate. If I just hate sin enough, if I just hate myself enough, I'll whip myself into goodness. I will transform myself into Jesus. I will make myself pleasing. Carnal thinking. Agreeing with Satan. The world will tell us that hating ourselves will fix us. I have battled with my weight my whole life, and I have been told, if you just hate being fat enough, you'll change. <laughs> Hating myself will never fix me, ever. I was wrong. I was a born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking believer. But I was wrong. The truth is, the whole time I was failing, the whole time I make mistakes, no matter how many times I fall short of perfection, there is nothing wrong with me in Christ. There is nothing wrong with me. He has fixed me by killing me off and starting over. <laughs> 
The truth is there was something very wrong with my thinking. There was something very wrong with my believing. But there was never anything wrong with who I am in Christ. I needed to see myself the way my father sees me. God has never hated me for one second. God has never been mad at me for one second. God didn't see me as lacking in anything. Now that doesn't mean he agreed with all my choices. He doesn't agree with carnal thinking. But he always agreed with who I was in him. God does hate sin, but he never hates a sinner and he never hates a son. And I am a son. I know I look like a girl, but I am a son. I am entitled to a full inheritance. <laughs> when we consistently think God's thoughts, when we embrace and agree with God's thoughts, then peace becomes our portion. My point is this. If I am thinking about myself the way God thinks about me, then I will experience life and peace period. A couple of months ago, I and my husband went on vacation to Canada. It's not really much of a vacation, <laughs> unless you're going to go there and go to church. <laughs> well, while we were there, one of the speakers there was teaching on this concept of who we are in Christ and the truth that there is nothing at all wrong with me. What if we believe that there's nothing at all wrong with us. How would that change your life? When she said that, my first thought was, is, is that really true? <laughs> is it really true that there's nothing at all wrong with me? At that time, I thought, I don't think I really believe that. Now, I know theologically it's true, but my brain, my carnal thinking, came to my rescue. What about that high blood pressure? Nothing at all wrong with you? Really? Natural, carnal thinking agrees with Satan. <laughs> now, I knew I should believe the truth that in Christ, there is nothing at all wrong with me. But in that moment, I thought, I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> because when I make a mistake of some kind, my brain will come and help me with what it thinks is true. It says, ah, see, you're still bad. Ah, see, you're still not good enough. Ah, see, you think you're perfect. Have you looked at you lately? <laughs> Your conscience will say things like, you'll never be able to overcome this. You will always be this way. Not only will our conscience condemn us, but Satan likes to climb on that bandwagon. <laughs> he loves to help us with our carnal thinking. Yes, he loves to help you with your carnal thinking. He wants you to think the way he thinks about you. He's going to tell you, you don't deserve good things. You can't really expect God to heal you after what you've done. After all, it's your own fault you're sick. It's your own fault, whatever the problem is. It's obviously your fault because there's something very wrong with you. He likes to tell us. He is the accuser. He loves to accuse and to blame. He loves to condemn us. 
Thank God for Jesus because he loves to vindicate us. He likes us to know the truth of who he is and what who he is in us. I love the word vindicate. It means to defend, to justify, to support and maintain as true or correct, even against denial, censure, and objections. It doesn't matter how often Satan objects to the truth. The truth never changes. There's nothing at all wrong with me. If we were to ask Jesus, is there really nothing at all wrong with me? What would he say? Well, he might start with Colossians chapter 2. Let's look at that. Starting in verse 6, it says this. I'm reading from the ERV version. You accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue to live following him. You must depend on Christ only, drawing life and strength from him. Just as you were taught the truth, continue to grow stronger in your understanding of it and never stop giving thanks to God. Be sure you are not led away by the teaching of those who have nothing worth saying. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) And those who only plan to deceive you. That teaching is not from Christ. It is only human tradition and comes from the powers that influence this world. I say this because all of God lives in Christ fully, even in his life on earth. And because you belong to Christ, you are complete, having everything you need. Christ is ruler over every other power and authority. Because you belong to Christ, you are complete, having everything you need. And the word here, complete, means to cram full. (laughs) It means to cram full so that there's no more room left, that there's no deficiencies, that there's no lack. In our spirit, man, we are completely complete right now. In Christ, we have no deficiencies. There is no lack in Jesus. So the truth is there is no lack in the real us either. In our spirit, we cannot get any more right because we've been made right, completely right, with no room for any wrong. (laughs) Jesus took all of our wrongs and all of our wrongness into the grave. And then our Father raised us up with him by the power of the Holy Spirit. There really is nothing at all wrong with us. Who we are has been made perfectly right and righteous. We are completely finished. We're completely finished in our spirit. There's no adding to our spirit to make it better or bigger (laughs) or stronger. It's completely finished. We have nothing missing, nothing broken. That's one of the definitions for peace. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Our spirit man is completely finished, completely righteous, completely holy, and completely crammed full of God. (laughs) And as we renew our mind to who and what we are in Christ, life and peace becomes our portion. Life and peace that's already on the inside of us begins to show up on the outside of us. Now, if Colossians chapter 2 wasn't enough, He might go on to 1 John chapter 4. Starting with verse 17, it says this. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, 
so are we in this world. I really like this scripture because it deals with our true identity, our true righteousness, and our true love. When we understand each of these, we will be able to say with confidence, there really is nothing wrong with me. Our true identity comes from Jesus, not from what we do, not from what was done to us, and not from what others say about us, and not even from what we say about ourselves. Our true identity is found only in Christ. 1 John 17 says, that as he is, so are we in this world. Now think about that. <laughs> Do we believe that? As he is at the right hand of the Father, I am right now, now, in this world? It's an amazing statement. God says we are. Now I could choose to think carnally and disagree with God and say, oh, no, no, that can't be right. Or I can choose to think spiritually and agree with what God says about me. He says... As he is, so are you, right now, in this world. Now, it doesn't say, as Jesus was when he was on this earth. That's usually how we tend to think about it. We are spirit-filled humans. Jesus was a spirit-filled human. Right? So we, often we go, same, same. Same, same. The Father says, no, not the same. Jesus had all the work to do. Not the same. He says, Jesus is in heaven, and you. Same, same. Same, same. Not Jesus before the cross. Jesus after the cross. Jesus after the victory. Jesus after the work. Jesus after it's all finished. Jesus when he's completely completed the work of our salvation. I like this part too. It also doesn't say, as Jesus is, so will we be someday. (laughs) Because that's usually what we think. If I work hard enough and long enough, Someday, maybe when I die, I'll be just like Jesus. That's carnal thinking. That's looking in the mirror and saying, not same, same. That's carnal thinking. God says what's really true. God says, Jesus at the right hand, and you, same, same. So how is Jesus right now at the right hand of the Father? Is there anything at all wrong with Jesus? Now, we usually have no problem saying, absolutely not. But when we look at ourselves, we go, maybe a little bit wrong with me. (laughs) I maybe could use some work. (laughs) You see, our natural human thinking will always try to point us to looking at ourselves carnally. And, of course, Satan will help. Satan loves to help us with our carnal thinking and to point out to us our inconsistencies in our flesh and in our performance. But we don't have to agree with our natural-minded conscience or Satan. We can choose life. We can choose the truth. We can choose to be spiritually minded in regards to ourselves. We can choose to agree with what God says is true about us, not what our flesh says about us. God our Father says, what is true about Jesus is true about us. That we are just like Jesus. Because we were crucified with Christ, and yet we live. Yet not us, but Christ lives in us. Because Jesus is our life. We are so one with him 
that whatever he is, we is. Whatever he is, we is. Because we're one with him. He is completely righteous. He is completely innocent. He is completely accepted. He is completely victorious. And he is completely loved. And so are we. There really is nothing at all wrong with who we are. 1 John 4.17 also says this, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Now why can we have boldness on the day of judgment? I really like this. Think about this. Think, why can we have boldness on the day of judgment? Well, let's start with, who is the judge? <laughs> judgment seat of Christ. Hmm. Same, same, and he's the judge. What's he going to judge us? Righteous, <laughs> holy, loved, complete. And if there's any objections, he says, same, same. Same, same. They are me, and I am them. We are one. We are same, same. Satan, you can object all day long, but the purchase price has been made. I have taken them into death, and I have raised them to new life, my life. They are just like me. Judgment is what we continually try to do to ourselves with our carnal thinking. But if we recognize, if we purpose to think God's thoughts, then we have to see the truth that all of our wrongs were nailed to a cross and all of our wrongness went into the grave and the Father raised us up into Christ himself. There is no judgment awaiting us. He will give us rewards for letting him live through us. <laughs> yeah. If we're going to get rewards, he goes, you let me live through you. Let me give you more stuff. Let me give you more blessing. You looked like me. You walked like me. You talked like me. You let me live through you. Here's rewards. <laughs> There's no judgment. That's why we can be confident in the day of judgment. We and the judge are married. We are one. So we can rest and relax in his presence in complete peace because there's nothing at all wrong with us. And the first part of 1 John 4.17 says, herein is our love made perfect. To understand that, you actually have to look at verse 16 because the herein refers to verse 16. And verse 16 says this, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So how is our love made perfect? By love himself coming to live inside of us. It is by him dwelling in us and us in him. When we believe the love that God has towards us, when we believe that Jesus really took all of our wrongs and all of our wrongness into the grave, when we believe that as he is, so are we in this world, then we are being truly spiritually minded regarding ourselves. We come into agreement with what God says is the truth. And with this spiritual mindedness, we have the power to cast out all the carnal mindedness that produces enmity against God and against ourselves. Romans 8, 7 says this, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, 
for it is not subject to the law of God. And I added, which is love. Neither can it be. Enmity is hostility, opposition, and hatred. In fact, the foundational interpretation of the word enmity includes the idea of hatred. Our natural carnal mind is hostile towards God. It opposes God, and it even hates God. That means our natural carnal mind will also be hostile towards us, will oppose us, and will even try to get us to hate ourselves. So when we fall into carnal-mindedness towards ourselves, just like Judas did, when we condemn ourselves and get mad at ourselves and beat ourselves up, when we're hostile and hateful toward ourselves, then we have believed this very same lie, that we are the problem. We have believed the lie that there's something very wrong with us. And the truth is, there's really only something wrong with our thinking. We have the power to choose what we think. We can choose life and peace. We can choose to meditate on the truth. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. We can choose to be spiritually minded regarding ourselves. We can choose to agree with what God says is true about us. We can choose to believe that we are so one with Christ that when we love Jesus, we love ourselves. You know, if you go looking for scriptures on how to love yourself, you won't find any. There's no how to love yourself in the Bible because we are not alone. We've been married to Christ. Ephesians 5.28 says this, He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And that's because the two are one. And so it is with us. There's nothing at all wrong with Jesus. And the truth is there's nothing at all wrong with us. When we renew our mind to this truth, it results in life and peace. When I love Jesus, I automatically will love myself. Carnality will tell you to hate yourself, to be mad at yourself, that you can fix yourself. We've already been fixed. We've been given new life. And the more we come into agreement with what God says about us, the more those inconsistencies we see will go away. I want to close in praying part of the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. I'm going to read it from the God's Word version. This is God's heart. This is what the Apostle Paul prayed. I'm asking God to give you a gift from the wealth of his glory. I pray he would give you inner strength and power through his spirit. Then Christ will live in you through faith. I also pray that love may be the ground into which you sink your roots and on which you have your foundation. I really like that. I also pray that love may be the ground into which you sink your roots and on which you have your foundation. This way, with all of God's people, you will be able to understand how wide, long, high, and deep His love is. And you will know Christ's love, which goes far beyond any knowledge. And I am praying this so that you may be completely filled with God. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, that you have saved us, you have rescued us, you have changed us, that as you are right now, so are we. As Jesus is, so are we. There really is nothing 
at all wrong with who I am. You have made me right. You have made me righteous. You have made me loved. When I believe your love, when I receive the love that you have for me, it changes everything. Help me to grow in my understanding of just how much you love me. Help me to grow in my understanding of how deep and wide and long and high is your love for me. Help me to see myself the way you see me. Open my eyes to the truth of who I am in you. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We choose to agree with you and have life and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.